first reading this morning comes from Romans 8 and can be found on page 1133 on the Bibles in front of you. And we're starting at verse 18. I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. For the creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and glory of the children of God. We know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Not only so, but we ourselves who had the first fruits of the Spirit groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption to sonship, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. But hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what they already have? But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. In the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. And our second reading can be found on Revelation 21, and that's on page 1,252. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of the heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. Then he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. He said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give water without cost from the spring of the water of life. Those who are victorious will inherit all this, and I will be their God, and they will be my children. But the cowardly, the unbelieving, the vile, the murderers, the sexually immoral, those who practice magic arts, the idolaters, and all liars, they will be consigned to the fiery lake of burning sulfur. This is the second death. Well, good morning, everyone, and thank you, Susan. Oh, yes, you're here. Excellent. Good. Good. Just checking. Now, could you have your Bibles open at Romans chapter 8? That was the first reading. That would be super helpful to me, maybe helpful to you as well as we begin. And uh, I want to begin uh, uh, with the words of Theodore Roosevelt, uh, a US president, you might say, from a better mold. And he once said these words. You know, the exact same thing happened at 8 o'clock as well. He once said these words. There we go. 
I'll just tell you the words. How about that? The words are, comparison is the thief of joy. Comparison is the thief of joy. And I think he just meant when you uh, compare your life to others' lives, you think they've got it better and you miss the joy in your own life. Uh, Or when you compare your wife to others' wives, you think they've got it better and you miss the beauty and the virtues in your own wife or whatever it happens to be. But that act of comparing um, or of looking at somebody else's situation robs you of, of an appreciation of good things you've got going on in your own life. Comparison is the thief of joy, so don't compare. That's what a famous ex-president has said. Now, in Romans chapter 8, verse 18, which I hope you have open in front of you, uh, chapter 8, verse 18, the Apostle Paul makes a very similar claim, at least it sounds similar at first hearing. Read along with me, verse 18, where he says, I consider that our present sufferings not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. Not worth comparing. So that's actually quite an extraordinary statement that he makes there because um, we compare our situations to other situations all the time. Now, Roosevelt says that robs you of joy. But when we compare our present situation with the future situation we will have, the Apostle Paul says, mate, it's not even worth it. Not worth comparing. Now, this is a time of year in which uh, you might be making future plans, is it not? Uh, Plans for the year ahead. And let's face it, you don't make plans in January. There is no hope for you when it comes to planning because once February starts, it's all systems go. The year has got a momentum all of its own and we're all just trying to keep up. So we've been doing some future planning uh, in our family, some things we might like to do this year. Uh, This week, we helped move my parents-in-law Uh, down from the central coast for the next chapter of their lives. And if you've ever made that sort of a move or made that sort of a move for your parents, you know that that requires some planning, doesn't it? Now, there might be some of you who, um, you're not doing any planning for 2018, no future planning at this stage. You're just absorbed by your current circumstances, whether that's just because you're having lots of fun at the moment, you're really in the moment, or maybe you're going through some very difficult times. Well, our passage today has got something to say to all of us. We're thinking about our future in 2018. Our passage pushes us to think well beyond that. If we're having too much fun at the moment, in the moment, our passage pushes us to think well beyond that as well. And if we're consumed by our current difficulties, this passage has great words of encouragement for us today. This very short summer series on a majestic chapter of the Bible, Romans chapter 8, is entitled Here to Eternity. And today we see the Apostle Paul discuss both aspects. There's the pain of the here and now, and there's also the incomparable future glory that awaits. Now, if these two scenarios are on such different planes that it's not worth even trying to compare them, How can that possibly be, and what encouragement does that bring? Well, to investigate those questions, we're going to look at a series of groans, of groans. And I don't know how often you groan, I don't know what you groan at. Uh, People groan at dad jokes, don't they? Um, Or bad jokes, really the same thing. Um, There's a member of our wider family who always calls, I'm talking multiple times during the week, just as we sit down for dinner. It's as if this person has got like closed circuit television, 
just trained on the dinner table and as soon as we sit down, speed dial right through to us. And so whenever the phone rings, we know who it is and there's a collective groan that just gets let out at our dinner table. Uh, I asked the staff during the week what makes them groan and one of them said, I groan when I do not have enough time to get done everything I need to do. Maybe that's your experience as well. Well, the first of three groans we discover today is actually not a human groan. It is the groan of creation as it waits for restoration. Creation groans waiting for restoration. Now, in fact, before it even groans, which we'll get to in a moment, it waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. Follow along from verse 18. Verse 18 tells us that great glory will, as in in the future tense, be revealed in us because we will see it and we will share in that glory. It's something to look forward to, folks. But in verse 19, it says that the created world is waiting for this glory to be revealed in us. It is eagerly expecting it. And those words kind of catch up a picture of waiting with the head raised, the eyes fixed at a point on the horizon from which something is expected to come. It's the picture of standing on tippy toes. You ever done that, trying to see something? With your neck craned in expectation. And so uh, the Apostle Paul says, the created world is eagerly expecting, standing on tippy toe, as it were, craning its neck, as it were, for the future glory of us Christians. That's the glory which is incomparable to our present sufferings for that glory to be revealed. And I just think, what the heck? Christians are so weird. A whole bunch of you, weirdos. Why would the creation be doing that? Now, that's the question you should be asking. Well, it seems that the the revelation of our future glory, that is the future glory of all Christians, those who trust in Christ, our resurrection, the redemption of our bodies, however you want to describe it, will signal that the restoration of all things is about to take place. When our dead and dying bodies are resurrected into eternal and immortal glory, that is the point at which the whole environment, the whole creation, will have its own renewal, its own resurrection. Uh, Prophets in the Old Testament like Isaiah looked forward to this day when the desert would burst forth into flower with the blooming of the crocus. You just heard Revelation 21 describe the coming of a new heavens and a new earth. That is the hope of restoration, which the whole creation looks forward to. But it's not yet here. It's still to come. And right now the creation groans. Every time there is an earthquake, you hear it groan. Every time there are wild weather patterns that wreak havoc upon the earth, you hear it groan. There's an extraordinary amount of beauty on our pale blue dot of a planet, but also great chaos. The sea levels rise, groaning. The desert spread, groaning. Species come and species go, but mainly go. That's more groaning. And that groaning tells us something about the past, says verse 20. Uh, it's, It's not just a scientific or a natural law of entropy, where all things left to themselves tend towards chaos and disintegration. It's not just that. It's also an imposition of God. 
you read verse 20 and there's not some idealistic circle of life. There's not even just a, a brutal fact of nature. God subjected our created world to decay. And you remember way back in Genesis 3, following human rebellion, he cursed the ground. So God subjected the created world to decay. It would not last forever as an act of judgment. But if you have a look at Romans chapter 8, the apostle doesn't describe it as an act of judgment. He says this imposition is an act of hope. In other words, that groaning tells us something about the future. The future hope is that our world will be set free from decay and chaos and disintegration. The hope is that it might know the same freedom that the children of God, that you and I will know if we trust in Christ, when we inherit future, immortal, unbreakable, glorious resurrection bodies. The hope is that creation itself will be liberated from what is described here as bondage to decay. The, law, the hope is that that law of entropy where everything breaks down will actually be reversed and the earth will be renewed. It will happen, as one writer says, when the last of God's chosen ones find their way to Christ and creation waits on tippy toes with its neck craned in anticipation of that day. But in the meantime, it groans in both pain and also hope. And actually what we see next is our own situation is paralleled in the situation of creation. We groan, waiting for our own resurrection, the redemption of our bodies. We haven't received our future glory yet. And so secondly, we groan too, waiting for redemption. And the picture you'll see there in verse 22 is it's one of childbirth. Don't you think the most extraordinary thing that a human being can, the most extraordinary thing a human being can do is to give life to another human being? Most extraordinary thing. And so it carries with it, I take it, a matching level of pain, I'm told. Uh, as well as extraordinary hope. I mean, ladies, uh, why would you go through such intense and painful labor if it wasn't for the hope and wonder of bringing a brand new little human being into this world with all the wonder that attaches to that? And so the groans of a mother are groans of pain that also point to hope. The metaphorical grains, uh, groans of creation are groans of pain and decay that point to the hope of renewal. Our metaphorical groans, in verse 23, our inward groans are likewise an indication not just of present sufferings, but also the hope of future glory. Have a look in verse 23. We ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Holy Spirit, we groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption to sonship, the redemption of our bodies. We groan. Would be very possible... I reckon, to think that because we've been given the Holy Spirit, like we saw last week, that is the spirit of the resurrected Christ, that we might have all the blessings of the future resurrection age right now. And you know, there are some churches that almost promise that to people who believe. Uh, the Christian life is depicted as your best life now. And let me say, if you thought the Christian life was about having every blessing now, your best life now, how damaging, how disappointing is it going to be when you run up against suffering, when your child goes off the rails, when your body fails you, 
when your business fails you and you go bankrupt, when your spouse seems indifferent to you, when you realize you will never get promoted from the position you're currently at, when you cannot shake the addictions you would dearly love to, when you cannot get out of bed because of anxiety or depression. Churches that have got no framework for suffering will damage their people. And Christians who think the Christian life is all about your best life now are in for great disappointment. Because even the Apostle Paul says, though we have the first fruits of the Spirit of God, we still inwardly groan. We continue to have present sufferings. Now, I think um, we struggle to get our kind of heads around this whole now but not yet kind of paradigm, this between the ages kind of condition. It's difficult to understand because um, not much else in our lives is quite like it. So you think back into kind of the retail world, some of you will remember buying things on lay-by. I won't get a show of hands that will just, I won't get a show of hands. And in the, in the old days, uh, friends, you could purchase things by lay-by, that is, you wouldn't actually take possession of goods until you had the money to pay for them. That's basically how it worked. And so you might decide to buy a bike and you'd pay for it slowly over time in installments before you could finally take it home. But you, you never got any portion of the goods until you'd paid for it all in full. Now, there is another segment of our population here who have never heard of lay-bys. You're like, lay what? What are you talking about, old man? And uh, these days, it's all about buy now, pay later, a thousand months interest-free or something like that. And so you take possession of something months, if not years, before you need to pay for it. And so by the time you actually do need to pay for it, you probably wished you hadn't bought it in the first place. Now, with one of these things, you get no benefits until the very end. With the other, you get all the benefits immediately before you pay. But in the Christian life, it's quite different. You see, you, you only get the first fruits, the early benefits, not the full benefits right away. And in the meantime, groaning remains even though we have the spirit of the resurrected Christ within us we do not escape human frailty but I do want to say friends that like the creation the groans of pain indicate a hopeful future as we too wait eagerly as we stand on tippy toes with our necks craned for our adoption to sonship and the redemption of our bodies, the full benefits, the future glory that will come. I hope you're waiting for it expectantly. And I looked at this verse and I said, why does the Apostle Paul describe our adoption to sonship in the future tense? Haven't we got that already? I noticed in verse 15, he's already said, we've received, as in the past tense, the spirit of sonship, how can it be that we are still awaiting our adoption as the children of God? And the truth is, as I came to discover, that a deeper and richer father-child relationship is coming. In other words, our best life is still ahead of us when we are revealed to the whole universe as the children of God. Our relationship with God is going to be better. It's going to be deeper. It's going to be richer. It's going to be warmer. It's going to be more open. It's going to be more unfettered and more unchained going to be wonderful likewise our souls have already been redeemed that is purchased or bought back by God at the cost of his son's life but look at your body 
I mean, you don't have to rush. It still awaits, doesn't it? We still await our, rese- our own resurrection, our renewal, our liberation, which one day we'll experience when, our, when we receive eternal, unbreakable resurrection bodies. Won't that be great? And though we can correctly say we've been saved by God, we can also say future tense, we will be saved in the future, on the last day, from the wrath of God. So friends, there is plenty to come. There is plenty to look forward to. There is plenty to hope in. But we don't have it all just yet. Which is why it says there in verses 24 and 25, you don't hope for what you already have, do you? That'd be silly. You hope for what you don't yet have. And so we wait for it patiently. As we've already sung, we have a hope like an anchor for our souls. And strength will rise in us as we wait upon the Lord. So creation groans waiting for restoration. And we too groan waiting for our own redemption. And then lastly, and I think somewhat differently, the spirit groans helping our weakness. The Spirit grows, helping our weakness. If you were with us last week, we heard that we live according to the Spirit, and by the power of the Spirit, we put to death the misdeeds of the body. We further read that if you're a Christian, you have faith in the Lord Jesus, you have received the Spirit of Sonship, and He testifies that we are God's children. Even further, we discover that being God's children means we will share in Christ's glory. Wow. Think about that but only if we also share in his sufferings. And here today we learn that the Spirit helps us in those sufferings. He groans on our behalf, helping us in our weakness. Now let's have a look at this in verse 26. In the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We don't know what we ought to pray for sometimes, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. In the same way as having Christian hope helps us in our sufferings, the Holy Spirit helps us in our weakness. He's a great assistant to us in the groaning of our present distress. And particularly, He assists us by replacing our uncertain, even our prayerless groans with groans of His own, with groans that are too deep even for words. It's as if He he turns our prayerless groans into wordless prayers on our behalf. He takes the needs of our heart that we can't even articulate to God and he speaks them for us on our behalf to God and somehow God can interpret those wordless groans made on our behalf because God not only knows our heart but he understands the Spirit's groans. See, even when we are suffering so much that we cannot pray, the Holy Spirit prays for us And God listens and he responds. Wow, don't you think prayer must be important if God gets his own spirit to do it for us when we cannot do it ourselves? But that's just another benefit of being a Christian person, of being given the Holy Spirit that he prays for us when we cannot pray for ourselves. And so the creation groans in both pain and hope You and I groan in both pain and hope and the Spirit groans for us, helping us in our weakness, praying for us in our prayerlessness. And so the question we need to finish on is, 
so what? Because if you don't have a so what, then you're left with a who cares, aren't you? So what does this mean for us? Well, firstly, it's a reminder of the pattern of the Christian life. Some of you don't need a reminder of that, but I suspect some of us do. It's a reminder of the pattern of the Christian life, present sufferings just cannot be avoided. Even people in whom the Holy Spirit has taken up residence cannot avoid human frailty. In fact, suffering and frailty applies not just to us, but even to our world. So present sufferings, friends, are something to accept. But future glory, which cannot be compared. And I suspect uh, few of us have any idea or much thirst for that future glory, but it is coming. And in fact, that future glory and renewal applies not just to us, but also to our world. It is something to behold, and it is something to anticipate as we stand on tippy toes with our necks craned. And those two things, present sufferings, future glory, are intrinsically connected, which means we need to wait patiently and we need to wait expectantly. I wonder, did you notice that in the reading? Verse 23, have a look. It says, we wait eagerly. Verse 25 says, we wait patiently. And I reckon if you think about it, those two uh, can be contrasts, right? They, they're intention, aren't they? Uh, think about this. The child eagerly awaited his marshmallows. The child patiently waited for his marshmallows. Do you sense the difference there? Because you really want to wait not so eagerly that you lose patience, nor so patiently that you lose enthusiasm. I wonder which of those two tendencies is your default. Do you look at your life? Do you realize that actually you lack enthusiasm for that future glory we will experience when our bodies and our creation are entirely renewed? I reckon you can tell if you're lacking enthusiasm for what lies ahead if you get overly despairing or overly distracted by the things immediately around us. Now, I know um, some of us are in the midst of extremely difficult circumstances. And the very last thing I would want to do is to crack people who cannot see beyond a fog that completely surrounds them. Uh, and I think the word from this passage for you is that Yes, things get better in time, but there is a point in time when things will be unfathomably glorious in your life for you, when all things are renewed. And so it's about getting through the day, isn't it? And God hears your groans, and he hears those prayers, those groans become through the ministry of the Holy Spirit. And of course, we would be more than honoured and privileged to pray with you and pray for you. And we'd be happy to do that after our service. But there are others amongst us who are not going through such intense difficulties. And we can get unnecessarily despondent at our present situation. And I think we actually just need to lift our heads. And we need to fix our eyes upon that horizon. And we need to stand on tippy toes and crane our necks metaphorically. Remember that we will be revealed in all the universe as the children of God, with unspeakable glory. And friends, that will only be a few more decades in our experience. 
Others of us lose enthusiasm for what is to come because we get distracted rather than despairing, uh, distracted by all the good things that surround us here. And if that's you, then it's, it's worth giving thanks, isn't it, that God has been good to you? Uh, I'd say it's worth noting that historically, that means we are incredibly fortunate to be in such a position. And yet we want to hold just kind of lightly to those things that can distract us, enjoying them for what they are without uh, making them what they're not, ultimate things. I mean, let me ask you a question. In the grand sweep of all eternity, are any of our ambitions, our desires, our possessions, our pastimes, ultimate things, will they not all pass? And in any case, will they not pale into complete ordinariness? compared to the glory of what is in store for us personally and for this world that we inhabit. Still others of us lose patience in our eagerness for the age to come. We expect blessings of that age now. Perhaps we're surprised that there is pain at all. Maybe we expect God to bring healing and renewal here and now all the time. I sat with a... Uh, a a young Christian man who is not long for this world, uh, just a couple of days ago. And because he is a Christian, he has received the gift of the Spirit. He certainly has. And he knows that he is God's child. And he is now sharing in the sufferings of Christ. And the blessings of the age to come, including a glorious, unbreakable resurrection body, is something he will experience then. Can I say these words are not make-believe, friends? They've got a real power at ground level and a real power at the hospital bedside. Now, some Christians would say, Scott, you should still be praying for healing. But at this stage, I'm praying he passes from this life, taking verse 18 deeply to heart. And that he has a firm trust that what lies ahead would just be magnificent. Because the God who knows him and loves him and in his father, is his father, is magnificent. Every one of us has a natural tendency, I think, don't we? We lose patience, we lose enthusiasm. I wonder what yours is. If you're a Christian person, the future will be great. And the glory will be worth the wait. So let us encourage one another to wait for it eagerly and yet to wait for it patiently. For these present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us and in all the creation. Let's pray.